Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 169, recorded for the week of June 8th, 2022. The Cloud Pod bounces back with elastic disaster recovery. Good evening, Jonathan. How's it going? Great, Justin. How are you? Uh, you know, it's been a busy, busy week once again. But, uh, you know, I'm off uh, off for next week. So you guys are on your own next week. So best of luck to you. <laughs> uh, well, first up, I want to take a couple minutes here to pimp the FinOps X conference. Uh, FinOps has been a great supporter of the CloudPod, and so we want to return the favor. Uh, it's June 20th through the 21st in Austin, Texas. You can register today uh, to get into that. And uh, they'll be talking all things FinOps and everything about FinOps. And uh, many of our listeners are from the FinOps Foundation. And so they'll be there. And you have a great opportunity to meet some folks. Uh, and to have a good conversation about all things finance, which is riveting as always. Moving on to AWS, Amazon EMR Serverless is now generally available. You can run your big data applications without managing your servers. So it's servers that are serverless. So they're really stretching that name. Uh, This was announced at reInvent, of course, and this is your ability to run uh, big data analytic applications using open source frameworks like Spark or Hive without configuring, managing, and scaling your cluster of servers. The EMR serverless lets you run analytics workloads at any scale with automatic scaling that uh, resizes resources in seconds to meet changing data volume and processing, uh, and all for the little cost of uh, five cents per hour for vCPU and uh, uh, half a penny per gigabyte per hour of memory. Uh, with 20 gigs of ephemeral storage per box. And then after that, it goes up to uh, more dollars per gigabyte that I don't know what the breakdown is at this moment. But yeah, uh, that's a pretty great uh, option if you're trying to do Hive and Hadoop and, and all that magic. Uh, but you know, don't necessarily know how we want to scale it yet. This is a great starting place uh, until you have a more predictable workload pattern. I think it's still interesting that they branded a serverless when obviously it's it's managed it's a managed service managing the service for you. But it's, uh, yeah. Cool. And runs an outpost too, which is also cool. Yeah. If you're running outposts on on premise, of course. (laughs) (laughs) AWS Elastic Disaster Recovery now supports multiple staging and target accounts. Uh, Amazon EDR has added support for those. Uh, You can now replicate and protect 300 source servers per AWS region. And by using multiple staging and target accounts, you can now also recover 3,000 replicating source servers into any target AWS account. This makes your DR setup, implementation, and monitoring easier and more efficient, especially for large-scale projects. Uh, large-scale, 300. Large-scale, 300. Doesn't seem to match for me on that one. I don't know about you. That's a strange number. I kind of can't imagine how they, uh, how they got to that number. Right? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. Maybe even maybe three thousand. Just how many? Uh, I mean, three hundred small, but even three thousand is pretty small too. For some enterprises, that have tens of thousands of servers that you know. Because if you're really doing auto scaling and you're doing traditional cloud native, you don't use the service because you've already built it into your app. And so this is really more for like legacy IT operation and things like SAP and Oracle and others. But you know, again, three hundred or three thousand. You know, I guess that covers small and medium business maybe, but large enterprise has way more than that. You kind of wonder why why any why any limit when it's if it's multiple accounts, multiple staging and target accounts. Surely you just get three hundred per account or three hundred per whatever. I don't know, it's a weird number. But yeah, hopefully you never have to use this. It's uh, expensive and not not cloud native. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Uh, AWS Subfunctions is launching an interactive workshop for building and deploying your application workflows. Uh, for those of you who are, have no idea what Subfunctions are or why you would use them, this is the self-paced tutorial that teaches you how to use the primary features of Step Functions through a series of interactive modules. Each module contains lessons, materials, and others that you can deploy to your AWS account, covering topics such as coordinating and orchestrating application workflows, managing your workflow states, creating SDK integrations with other AWS services, and much, much more. Uh, you know, I know Jonathan and the rest of the CloudPod hosts are big fans of Lambda and subfunctions, and so if you've uh, ever been curious, they're talking about this is a great way to go catch up with our hosts about the awesomeness that is step functions. And did you look at the workshop? I I clicked into it and looked at different modules. It looks quite comprehensive. The the kind of thing you wish they would have had when step functions launched. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think when they launched it, they didn't know what anybody would use it for. So now they actually have use cases and best <laughs> practices. So now they can create a workshop around it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, haven't, haven't know, I've been it. impressed with the things that you guys have built with this thing in the past. And it always is impressive uh, how it all works and managing yeah. state and how complicated it is. So it's, it's a great primer I saw. They had a quite a bit of like fundamentals of what it means to have a state machine and then um, you know all the different comprehensive parts of it from there. So yeah, if you, uh, you know how to write Lambda functions, then uh, you probably want to look, look at this at some level. Yeah, and I think they're, they're sort of helping push people in, into using CDK for deploying step functions as well, which is a whole lot easier and uh, sort of cloud formation natively. Mm-hmm. It's coming together. I, I feel like <laughs> the story is kind of coming together. The whole yeah. uh, the whole developer experience thing is is really getting better. Well, I think they, that's one area they've sort of fallen behind. You know, Google, which is what they've lost a lot of business to Google in some shops, is because the developer experience on Google is just really nice. Uh, but you know, operational experience on Google not so great. But screw those cloud guys. <laughs> uh, well, in a future that's only going to cause me pain in the future, uh, AWS, AWS is launch, announcing the launch of IP-based routing for Amazon Rev 53. Uh, with Rev 53, of course, you can set up multiple routing options such as geolocation, geoproximity, latency-based, and weight-based routing to route your end users to the optimal endpoint for them. But now, with IP-based routing, customers are now additionally empowered to fine-tune their DNS routing approach based on the CIDR block that the query originating IP address belongs to, allowing them to leverage knowledge of their end-user base to optimize performance or network transit costs. And all I can think about is an honor drastic world, which comes out today. Uh, yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't <laughs> stop to think if they should from the great E.M. Malcolm is the only quote that comes to mind uh, in this feature for me. Yeah, certainly, yeah. Uh certainly complicate things unless there's some decent logging on the, on the Route 53 side so we can see what's, which responses are being answered to to which people. Um, I, I don't like the choice of the name, actually. I don't, IP-based routing is, it, it's not, it's not really routing, it's more like selective responses or, you know, source IP-based responses. I think the, calling it a routing thing is sort of confuses what it actually does, but yeah. I'm sure there's millions of use cases for this. I mean, I guess you can uh, black hole Block your DNS from being resolved in countries where you don't want your services being uh, accessed from. Oh yeah, I never thought about that use case. Like, yeah, from from Russia right now, I want to black hole all the DNS queries so they can't find my boxes. Yeah, that, yeah. I, that's a use case I hadn't considered. I still don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, typo, <laughs> you, you still typo it, and you know now you're blocking you know Yugoslavia or or Georgia or something, and you're like, what happened? And like, we don't know made a change. Now we'd figure it out. Mm. But yeah, I'm curious about the logging. I didn't have a chance to check that out, but um, I'd be curious to see if they if they call out in the Route 53 logs, you know, which which answer they gave based on the IP address and you know they call that out. But that would be 
yeah, if they make it easy in the login, maybe it isn't so, so, quite so bad. But you still have to remember that, oh, yeah, in some cases, we have this weird IP thing where we, we give different answers for different things. And uh, how do you update that efficiently is really my question. Mm, I think it's still missing missing a feature I'd like. I mean, it's it's a it's a nice feature, but I, what I'd like is... Um, is a Lambda function resolver. So, you know, you, you have an alias record that points to a Lambda instead of any other resource. And whenever somebody requests the resolution of the, the record, it calls my function. And I decide what results I'm going to return back. It would be uh, quite useful. That would be useful. That's it for AWS this week. And GCP comes to us with three announcements. Uh, first up is security operations uh, can now get powered up with context-aware detections, alert prioritization, and risk scoring in the Google Chronicle. Uh, this is a public preview capability. Uh, and for example, they gave us on how this works is that a typical event comes into a SOC person or an analyst. Uh, they receive it. They do a host lookup. They see which user owns that host. They do an LDAP lookup to identify that that user actually exists in the organization as, and their responsibilities are. And then, you know, if it's a case of a macro for Excel, you might identify this person is an accountant and in payroll. And so it would be very logical that they would be launching a macro in their financial spreadsheet. And that context alone allows the SOC team to potentially de-risk that item versus, you know, if it goes to the CEO machine and he's also running Excel macros, you probably want to look into that because that's not normally the thing a CEO will do. So with that context-aware detection, Google Chronicle leverages all supporting information from authoritative sources like your CMDB, IAM, DLP, including telemetry, context relationships, and vulnerabilities available out of the box as a single detection event. And uh, customers can use this data to better protect uh, and secure their environment, which is great. Yeah, that's neat. Um, kind of wonder why you wouldn't want to protect everybody from everything, I guess. Uh, I suppose it helps you prioritize uh, greater risks versus lesser risks, but... Um... I mean, I think it gives you that context so you can make those decisions faster, right? You're probably checking for macros everywhere, which is why this came up in the first place. But then, you know, when you do the analysis, you realize, oh, this is a finance person. Finance people love macros. <laughs> they use a lot of them in their day-to-day -day life. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, a CEO or, or, you know, the sales guy is probably not doing a lot of macros to figure out his sales pipeline. Um, you know, so that, that's, those are good contextual clues that give you an idea. But it's still something you want to research and, you know, you just potentially will close it out a little faster because you have it. Yeah, I guess it saves you having to whitelist people individually. If you can, if you can tag groups of people as likely to be using something, especially as um, most of this, the uh, security detection tooling now is is very much based on heuristics and and patterns. Yeah. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, uh, Google has some vaporware for us this week. Uh, they are apparently adding to the Google distributed cloud uh, AI, ML, and database solutions to allow you to run them on premise sometime in the next year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, they say that customers love Google's AI services for building, deploying, and scaling AI models and their ML services to build and train high-quality custom ML models. However, some customers have highly sensitive workloads and a desire to use their own private dedicated facilities 
So within the next year, they'll give you that capability to do that on the Google Distributed Cloud Hosting Solution, all powered by the wonderful Anthos, which you have to run on-premise. So you get not only do you get to run this on-premise, you also get to run Kubernetes and Anthos to have more complexity on top of complexity, which I love all day long. It's kind of a weird feature to um, publicize that that your cloud isn't seen as secure enough to run all the workloads. It's sort of it's conceding that, that perhaps there is some workload somewhere which is still not suitable for the cloud. Kind of wonder if they're trying to also address that angle. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one angle, but I, I assume <laughs> it's also the so not that we don't believe that it's secure enough. It's that the customer doesn't believe it's secure enough, and so they're really meeting yeah. the customer where the customer is at versus what Google actually thinks in this particular case. Yeah, I guess you know we, we talked when Anthos first was was announced. Now, post as well for AWS, we talked about how likely it was that more and more of the cloud native services were going to be made available anywhere, you know, on, on any cloud in any data center. And it's there's definitely um, definitely a pattern of, of more so as sort of monetizing the services regardless of where they're they're hosted. Yeah, agreed. Well, then final announcement from Google this week. There's a new data center region in Dallas coming just a week after Ohio got announced. Uh, This is now the 34th global data center region for Google, the 11th in North America, and the second in the central U.S. region for them. Uh, So if you're looking for capacity in the Google Cloud, Dallas has a bunch of shiny new boxes ready for you to deploy your workloads in the bigger state, where they all do everything bigger, better, and faster. (laughs) Allegedly, I don't know. A 10-gallon hats. <laughs> That's right. It's like I run my server with a 10-gallon hat on. It's perfect. All right, moving to Azure. They have some new VM instances for you this week. These are new uh, high availability, or sorry, new storage optimized Azure VMs. Enjoy Azure. The new LIS V3 and LSV3 VM series have been engineered to run workloads that require throughput and high IOPS, including big data applications, SQL and NoSQL, distributed file systems, data analytics engines, and more. The new VM series provides faster processors, increased networking, and higher remote disk throughput compared to prior generation storage optimized VMs. The LSV3 is the Intel flavor, the Xeon Platinum 8370C based on Ice Lake, and the LAS V3 VM is the third generation AMD Epic 7763 Milan processor. Uh, they both offer high throughput, low latency, directly mapped local NVMe storage, and 1.92 terabyte NVMe SSD per 8 vCPU with up to 19.2 uh, terabytes available to you on the largest instance size. Yeah, looking at the the uh, sort of associated customers with this Databricks and Elastic and, and Silk, it um, makes sense that this is all about uh, data stores and yeah. You can now start skilling up on Azure if you uh, are been excited to learn about all things Azure. The new Azure Skills Navigator is a new learning and resource designed especially for those that are new to Azure and want to learn even more. These downloads, uh, downloadable Azure Skills Navigator guides offer a variety of resources to help build your skills and knowledge of Azure. Each guide features carefully selected digital training, learning courses, videos, documents, certifications, and more. And there are six guides available today, including the Azure Skills Navigator for system admins or solutions architects or developers, the Azure AI Learning Journey for Developers, the Azure Data Engineer and Data Scientist Journey for Data Scientists and Engineers, respectively, all available to you. I did check out the Azure Skills Navigator for System Evans. It does look pretty comprehensive as well, uh, if you really want to get into Azure, which I don't, so that was as far as I got. <laughs> yeah, I said take a look at the Solutions Architect um, skills. It's, it's, it's pretty nicely written. I still wouldn't want yeah, to use they it. Do, they do a good job in their training. You know, again, yeah. you have to be on Azure to use it, but Training is good. Uh, I guess Microsoft have been been running training programs since well the nineties, maybe. 
maybe even earlier. I'm not sure. So they've they've got their uh, their patter down, I guess. And then if you've been uh, waiting for the right time to optimize your storage and intensive <laughs> VMware application in the cloud, they have good news with the Azure NetApp files for NFS data stores and Azure VMware solutions. <sighs> okay, I got through that. Oof, you can scale nice. st- <laughs> it's a name. <laughs> you can scale storage independently from compute Azure NetApp file data stores, enabling you to run VMware-based storage intensive workloads like SQL Server, general purpose file servers, and others in Azure. The Azure NetApp Files is available in preview as data store, choice for Azure VMware solutions, and Azure NetApp File NFS volumes, which all can be attached to Azure VM solution clusters of your choice. Another win for NetApp. That's awesome. Yeah. NetApp's everywhere. And that's it. That's all the big news this week. And we went through it in record time, Jonathan, because uh, just the two of you, <laughs> two of us. And so uh, <laughs> you know, that's how it kind of goes sometimes. But uh, we do have we do have yeah. five stories for lightning round. I'll just read them out because I'm... I don't want to divide them up between the two of us. So try your best here to see if you can you can win. No points. <laughs> Amazon EC2 dedicated <laughs> hosts are now available on AWS Outposts. Aren't all Outposts dedicated to me? That was, that was my joke, too. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> that was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, wait, <laughs> hey, but it's already dedicated because it's in my data center. Unless, unless I find yeah. out that Amazon's reselling your AWS Outpost as you know local zones. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the secret. I don't know. <laughs> Amazon Candor releases GitHub, uh, SaaS, and on-prem connectors. So you can access all your GitHub code in Kendra. I I've never heard anybody use Kendra, actually. I'm not saying it's no good or anything, but it's certainly not on the popular list of services. I mean, it was so expensive when it launched that no one jumped on it, and then it didn't, also didn't have connectors or anything you cared about. So Yeah, a bit of, bit of lack of understanding about what it actually is meant for. <laughs> You remember how Google used to sell those yellow boxes you could put into your data center to do enterprise search? That's what it's for. <laughs> to replace those yellow boxes that are ah, yeah. end of life for a long time. Oh, that brings back memories. We have that Lexmark uh, product as well that did the same thing. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Elasticsearch also has a product in this space too. But, uh, AWS Security Hub now receives AWS Config Managed and Custom Rule Evaluation Results. Well, good. I'm glad somebody's reading them. <laughs> Not the SOC team, probably, though, either. Because <laughs> they're going to be like, okay, yeah, whatever. It just changed. Amazon CloudFront now supports TLS 1.3 session resumption for viewer connections. <laughs> I got nothing for that. I mean, I, I, is TLS 1.3 going to become a nightmare for me all of a sudden? Session resumption? Am I going to have to manage massive state tables in my F5s and load balancers? Like, this doesn't sound great, personally. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's super fast. You don't have to renegotiate those um, certificates, or the mm-hmm. keys, even, I should say. Uh, Got it. Yeah. And then AWS IoT Device Management announces an 80% price reduction for secure tunneling, <laughs> which we will immediately spend on more IoT devices. <laughs> so it's just IoT everywhere. Yeah, I was just trying to think of a crossing the border joke, but no, I got nothing. <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the point to you on that. The first one, because we had the same idea for oh. the first answer. Yeah. Where uh, you know one of our listeners wrote in to say they thought that they should vote on it, and so I think we're going to try to do that on Slack when I get back uh, after next week. We'll uh, we'll try to post up the jokes uh, or you know a little poll people can pull it. Then we'll, we'll award points later, uh, or, or Peter will come back one of the two. We're not really sure what's going to happen first. <laughs> he's got some stuff going on. He's got to deal with so. Well, good. There's a couple other things coming up real quickly in the cloud here for you all. Sustainability Summit on June 28th. The RSA conference just passed us by, so next week uh, has quite a few stories for Jonathan to cover in my absence on all things security. Remars is happening uh, next week as well, or in two weeks as well. 
and then reinforce at the end of the month uh, in Boston, all happening very, very soon. And again, the FinOps X Foundation is coming up very soon in Austin, Texas, uh, which if you do go make it out to that in June 20th to 21st, uh, go do enjoy some delicious barbecue as it's quite good in Austin. Uh, I was originally going to go, but uh, I unfortunately could not make it. Uh, so I will hopefully catch it next year. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what uh, the FinOps Foundation pulls out of their hat for FinOps X this year. It's going to be great. All right, Jonathan, we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Soon enough. <laughs> Later, man. <laughs> Take care. Bye. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Thank you.